This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome. I'm Ed Martin. It is important right now. We are in Crisis Afghanistan Day 1. Crisis Afghanistan Day 1. We are now at a pivot point in American history. Crisis Afghanistan Day 1. It's laid bare... All the things that you worried about when you thought, whatever party you were, when you thought, um, maybe the people in charge aren't up for the job. Crisis Afghanistan, day one. What do we have on day one after we supposedly got out of Afghanistan? That was what President Joe Biden trumpeted. He sent his uh, secretary of state out to brag about that, except on Day one, crisis Afghanistan, day one. What do we know? Americans are trapped in Afghanistan, held hostage by the Taliban. That's what we know. We have crisis Afghanistan, day one. North Korea is arming itself with nuclear, well, at least nuclear material. On day one. I mean, could this get, we have beheadings we have reports of beheadings, reports of tongues being cut out of interpreters who helped the Americans. We have, uh, I mean, crazy reports of thousands, hundreds, I don't know how many dogs that were left behind. We, were, we left them locked up and I don't know, didn't feed them. I, I have a dog, I have two dogs. I love dogs. I'm not sure it's the same as all these people that are stuck behind there. But one after another, crisis, Afghanistan, day one, it's a disaster. And then our president comes out and does a press conference on crisis Afghanistan day one, what does he say? Oh, it went great. It went great. We got 120,000 people airlifted out. Didn't say how many were Americans, by the way. But we know that there's hundreds, if not thousands of Americans stuck in Afghanistan, in, in, held hostage by the Taliban. How's this going to go? What's going to happen when the kid, I think three years old, there's a picture of his passport, not a picture of him. They blacked it out. He's stuck behind Taliban lines. We have women targeted in Afghanistan. We have 85 billion with a B dollars worth of of um, American equipment. Weapons, missile launchers, automatic weapons, helicopters, planes. I don't know if they had tanks. I didn't see that. Crisis Afghanistan day one is a pivot in American history. Do you feel it? The world is looking at this and saying, what's happening here? And I'll tell you, the fact that Congress is out of session, so they can't even comment meaningfully, they're not even up there, you know, they're not, there's no, nothing they can do, and they won't do it anyway because they're Democrats. There's no one who's got the pulpit of the opposite party who could say this is a disaster. They're mostly hiding Pelosi, Schumer, and not answering. So we have a broken American system of governing with incompetence. And again, Selena Zito in a few moments, we'll, we'll talk to her and her piece at the Washington Examiner says it's not incompetence, it's negligence. Repeated conduct that's so bad is negligence. She's probably right. She's always a very good writer. But crisis Afghanistan, day one, we have a president, he can't secure the border he can't properly 
do uh, his job. The Supreme Court struck down his eviction moratorium change. It was made up. He admitted that. He can't competently run the military. Whatever military, whoever in the senior levels of military allowed this to go on and hasn't resigned, it's a crazy situation. We have a COVID pandemic or whatever it is, which has one messaging from Fauci, another messaging from Molinsky at CDC. It's got states, uh, school teachers unions in the state saying one thing, mayors saying another, state after state. It's just a disaster. And I'm going to tell you something I've told you before. It's crisis Afghanistan day one. But you know who's going to pay first politically? Gavin Newsom. He is his fate is sealed. And the next guy that's fate is sealed is Terry McAuliffe running for governor of Virginia. His fate is sealed because when crisis Afghanistan day one, it might sound familiar because back in 1979, a little TV show started. It later became Nightline. It was called Iran, the crisis in Iran, America held hostage. It was called. And pretty soon after 79, you know what happened? Reagan won and so did almost everybody else. And what's shaping up is a characterization, a a description of this president's governing effort that includes negligence in Afghanistan, health care disaster on COVID, inflation around the corner. And, you know, the general feeling in the country is we're not getting enough communication out of the guy. And I have said repeatedly, one of the problems that we're facing right now is we're being governed by a man who thinks he's a senator. If you're a United States senator, you, you can never be told to show up anywhere. You can never be told to vote anyway. You can never be told to apologize. You can never be told you must address the press. All of that is up to you. You cannot be ejected from the U.S. Senate because it would take a vote of your fellow senators. And of course, there's honor among thieves. So the crisis we're facing, crisis Afghanistan, day one, we're in day one of this, is because we have a man who is a senator. And again, another thing with senators, a staff of a senator, this is a very important point. Actually, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, Eric Campman, who's a big publisher and a, and a, and a uh, uh, very smart guy, and he, he said this, so I'll give him credit. I'll draw it to my my uh, description also. He said, Eric said, the problem here is that Biden made decisions and he wouldn't let anyone tell him it was wrong. It, it, or if people came to him and said, here's the decision, you should do this, sir. Bring out the military first, leave everybody else behind, then we'll come and get him. It's hard to believe the military said that. I think it's what Biden came up with this is what he wanted to do. And we're going to do it this way. And no one could talk him out of it. And no one resigned. And no one had the courage around him. If you're an executive, you have an executive team that is going to confront you. That's part of their job. It's not easy, actually. A good executive is going to have people that tell him no. Sometimes an executive will have just one person who always tells him he plays the devil's advocate. But Biden couldn't overrule anybody. Or couldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have anybody on his staff tell him, you can't do this, sir, or I quit. You know what that's like? On a U.S. Senate staff, the staff is also untouchable. As long as you keep the boss happy when you're a U.S. senator, a staffer, 
You, no one can mess with you. You can't get fired by the majority leader. You can't get fired by the minority leader. You can't get fired by the executive. You can't be fired by the, the uh, body of, uh, of evaluators. You can't get fired if you're a staffer for a U.S. senator. So when the U.S. senator says, I'm not changing my mind, I don't care, I'm doing X, I'm saying Y, even if a staffer tries a little bit, what happens pretty quick is you realize that doesn't matter. I'm only a U.S. senator. Can't get fired. Can't get thrown out of the Senate. You usually can't get beaten in your home state. You can raise so much money, have so much power, or at least you're on a long term, six years. So crisis Afghanistan day one with people trapped behind the Taliban lines, people who are uh, uncertain about where the, the their loved ones are, what's happening. We have uh, billions and billions of dollars in weapons. We have the rest of the world rising up and saying, OK, we've got a weakened America or at least a weakened White House and Congress is lost. Congress is is not in session and it's not going to say anything. If you even if you're a Republican and you say something, you're going to not get any traction because you're in the minority and the media is not going to allow it. So we're 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 down to Tucker Carlson describing it. That's good. Selena Zito describing it. That's good. Some of our journalists are saying it. But crisis Afghanistan day one, we're on day one. How do you think this is going to be in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Because it's not only crisis Afghanistan. This is the pivot. It's a crisis in the White House. Crisis in America. This is just day one. What a mess. What a mess. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back, talk to Selena Zito. And uh, don't worry, don't worry. There's a, there is always a path forward. The beauty of America is the people are stronger than their stupid, stupid government. Uh, and uh, our institutions are stronger too, our constitution and others. But we've got to get to the point where we get some people who will stand up uh, and fight back. That's it. Crisis Afghanistan, day one. What a day. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. By the way, visit ProAmericaReport.com to listen to this segment and other segments. I post them up after the show. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. My old friend Gregory Wrightstone is with us, and Gregory Wrightstone has a piece uh, that published... I guess about three or four days ago, the title is Electric Vehicle Fire Catastrophe. It's not a matter of if, but when. And uh, welcome, Gregory. How are you today? Oh, yeah. Um, one thing Joe Biden's not planning on are, are some of the downsides to these electrical vehicles. And it's, uh, it, it, it's quite scary when you start thinking about it, Ed. Uh, Gregory Wrightson, I should have told, uh, I meant to say, uh, you're now the executive director of the CO2 Coalition, which is based in Arlington, Virginia. And of course, your book is Inconvenient Facts, Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. All right. So walk me through this, Gregory. What I've often wondered, my wife will, every time the electric car thing comes up, she says, they all think that the electric cars somehow are, you know, free of energy. How do they think they get the electricity? <laughs> you know, they get electricity from other places. But tell us about this uh, problem with the batteries. This is interesting. Yeah, it's the lithium-ion batteries. Lithium is a pretty unstable. Uh, it's actually a, a metal. It's it's called a an alkali metal. Um, as sodium is the same type of thing, but lithium is a little bit more dangerous. And what happens these these batteries? It's a rare event, but they do spontaneously combust. Uh, it's often with the electric vehicles. It's during charging. It's the most often uh, reported 
time when they catch fire. And we see reports of cell phones with lithium-ion batteries also. Uh, there was one just yesterday, an American Airlines uh, flight, where it caught fire on flight. Uh, they're, they're, huh. they're quite... And so, although it's a rare occurrence, it does occur. And the difference is, with these, with the electric vehicles, it occurs when they're parked. Uh, obviously, gasoline, internal combustion engine vehicles also can catch fire, but they're usually during an accident or if it overheats while you're driving. It, it doesn't occur at 3 a.m. in the morning when it's parked in your garage. Uh, these your, your gasoline-powered uh, vehicles just not going to catch fire, uh, but these things happen, and homes have, have been completely destroyed. And there's all there have been two recent uh, bus stations, one in China and one in Germany, uh, where the electric buses uh, during charging in the middle of the night caught fire, and just a chain reaction one after the other. And these lithium uh, electric vehicle fires are just horrific. You can't put them out; they're usually just allowed to burn out, and it takes hours huh. for them to burn out. Uh, so it's in fact there was there were two cities in Bavaria uh, that have banned electric vehicles in any of their parking garages because of that danger. Think about this, and and also when they catch fire, uh, one study reported that uh, in an enclosed area the the fumes may be just as much or more dangerous than what the flames and the heat is. So how, how do you let's just say? Uh, the nightmare scenario I worry about is what happens if one of these vehicles catches on fire two or three floors underground in a parking garage, underneath an office building or a, an apartment building? Well, number one, the fire department probably can't even get to it. And number two, if they could get to it, they couldn't put it out because these lithium batteries just it's flame on and, and it doesn't go out until they burn out. Uh, and it would that would be just a horrific. Uh scenario so greg, greg gregory is that if i if i had the electric car guy on would he say oh yeah 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 that problem is happening but we're fixing it do they is there a way to fix it or is it in the nature of the of the battery yeah it's that's a good question there have been quite a few recalls uh ford uh just recalled uh, their bolts the most popular electric vehicle yeah a lot of them uh they record they've now recalled all of them for fire hazard wow uh, hmm. uh so BMW's had the same problem. A number of other uh, electric vehicle manufacturers have also had large recalls because of fire. And it was funny. I Well, it's not funny, but I discussed this with uh, our, the CO2 Coalition chairman, Will Happer, uh, professor out of Princeton. Uh, he said early in his career he was doing laboratory work, and he was working with lithium, and he said his colleagues warned him of the danger of working with lithium. They said, don't do it. Uh, he said he put it in a beaker and started heating it up, and the heat started becoming very aggressive. It was actually getting hotter than what it should have been. He took the Bunsen burner away, and instead of continued heating, uh, it reacted with the glass, actually, uh, in, in the container. He said it melted through the bottom, hit, the, hit his wooden uh, bench that he was working <laughs> on, burnt through wow. it, and then into the floor. He said this stuff is it's it's you know, you got to be careful when you work huh. with it. And these are the things that we're driving around. Um, and that's why when you go to the post office, what do they ask you? Um, you have to say, do you have any lithium-ion batteries that you're shipping? And you, you say, no, right. I don't. And that's the reason. I mean, they don't want these things combusting while they're flying them from uh, St. Louis to New York. 
Uh, we're talking with Gregory Wrightstone. He's the executive director of the CO2 Coalition. Uh, and if you go to CO2Coalition.org, you can learn more about that there. Um, uh, but, um, Gregory, then the popularity of it, it's, is it just classic marketing? It's, uh, oh, it's cool. We're going to be green. And people don't realize either the cost of it. I mean, nothing about the, uh, uh, the electric cars has been efficient from a market standpoint. You know, Tesla's funded with tax dollars and tax breaks. Uh, there, there's more money thrown at the so-called green energy to try to st- stir the market. But people buy them. Are they buying them because of tax okay. credits? No, not tell me that. Tell me the details. No, no, no. Well, well under two percent, and most of those are in uh, California. Is the main uh, place the highest number of, of electric vehicles? No, they're not. They're not catching on at all. Well, let me let me ask you it. Let's just yeah. say you're in New Orleans and Hurricane Ida is bearing down on you, and you you decide you, you say to your wife, "Honey, we need to go." And you've got two choices. You've got a brand-new 2020 Tesla electric vehicle in the garage, or you've got a 2004 uh, Ford Taurus in your garage. What are you going to take north? You're not going to take right. the electric vehicle at all. You will. You can't because number one, uh, you're not going to be able to run the air conditioner right because that's just going to suck up uh, electric that you need to get to Baton Rouge or up to Mississippi or wherever you're, you're headed. Um, right. and, and you can't put the windows down because it's starting to rain. It's 95 and it's raining sideways. Uh, so it's just <laughs> not, a, it's not a good option. And it's the same problem you have yeah. in, if you're in Minnesota in February and it's two degrees and 50 mile an hour wind and you're, you're trying to get someplace. Well, if you run that heater, you're just going to burn through that electric that you need to get to wherever you're headed. Yeah, it's um so 2%, a lot of it in California. Again, my point is because people think it's cool, uh or, you know, because they think it's trendy or and also in California there's th- like tax credits, you get tax credits. I mean, again, it doesn't seem like it's um tipped in terms of efficiency. Am I am I I'm not I'm not an expert on it. I'm just talking out loud. I mean, it doesn't seem like it it ah. seems like the only people that get them are are people that think it's cool and it's a status thing. Uh and other and otherwise it doesn't really make sense. Well, it also only makes sense if you're just if you're commuting just a short distance. Um, I just drove from Tampa uh, to Virginia to, to Arlington, Virginia, here uh, last month. Well, it would have turned. It was a long trot. It was a long drive, but it would have turned it into a four or five day trip to go that distance. It's long distance travel with the electric vehicles just. Uh, it's not efficient. It's not. You can't do it. Well, you can if you have to plan ahead. Uh, right. It's going to extend your 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 drive time significantly. Uh, well, again, we're talking with uh, Gregory Wrightstone. He's the executive director of the CO2 Coalition, CO2Coalition.org. I hate to do this open-ended question as we got about a minute left. The Biden administration, uh, is it as bad as you feared it would be, Gregory? Worse. Really? One word. Oh my goodness! It's uh, on every every level we look at. I look at climate change and energy. Um, he's doing everything he can to shut down oil production in the United States uh, from day one, uh, almost hour one when he took over, um, trying to shut oil production down now. And then they're on their knees, the Biden administration, begging for OPEC uh, to open up the gates, to open up the spigots to produce more oil. While he's 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 got a knee on the neck of American oil producers here in this country, it's it's I don't know. I just 
his energy policy, I'm not going to say it's worse than his Afghanistan policy, but it, it, they might be running <laughs> neck and neck. Huh. Wow. All right. Well, well uh, it uh, appreciate very much, Gregory Wrightstone, your insight in this piece. I'll put it up again. Uh, he wrote on electric cars uh, and electric vehicle fire catastrophe and also over at CO2coalition.org. Uh, thanks, Gregory. We'll have you back on again. And we got to take a quick break, though. I'm up against the break. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. My old friend, Selena Zito. See, I knew her when she was semi-famous. Then she got really famous, best-selling book all over the TV. And then we rarely talked to her. I mean, she's changed. But she's still the great writer that she is. If you go to selenazito.com, selenazito.com, you can check out all of her stuff, sign up for her emails. And I am looking at the Washington Examiner piece. She writes at the New York Post. She's in, sometimes in the Wall Street Journal. Sometimes she's, I mean, she's everywhere. And uh, this piece is in the uh, Washington Examiner uh, from a day or two ago might have been today and it's today the negligence of joe biden and it goes through what happened in afghanistan and what's going on so welcome back selena zito how are you thank you so much for having me on i'm well how are you I'm doing great. It's good to catch up. Now, uh, you, this piece to me, you're one of these people that loves to listen and talk to folks and you sort of come at it without being too uh, judgmental. I think that's one of your strengths. You, this one, I mean, you, you basically say it's negligence, it's incompetence. You words, use the word incompetence. Um, how, you know, how bad is this? Well, I, I actually actually argue against the constant uh, refrain that that his decision on uh, Afghanistan has been incompetent. I think he's been very um, he's been very crisp and clear about why th- that he was going to do it, not why he was going to do it, that he was going to do it, and he stubbornly refused to back down he still did today we just had a press conference and i felt like i was being yelled at uh but i argue that this is negligence it's not incompetence Hmm. and it's not a one-off it is a pattern of behavior he has been negligent on numerous things not just on afghanistan and not uh, but also on the border and also he was incredibly negligent and how he handled uh, the the waivers um, uh, uh, with um, eviction, he knew full right. well that it was wrong. And and when someone has a pattern of behavior, that means that is who they are. And and negligence to me has much more of a moral and legal um, standing than incompetence does. We're talking again with Selena Zito and her piece. It's uh, important over at the Washington Examiner because of how you lay that out. Uh, let me try something else on you, though. What if it's what I don't want to excuse the behavior, but he to me, one thing I haven't heard people talk about. I'd be interested to your 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 thoughts on my what I say is it feels like he um, is acting like a senator, which is to say when you're a senator, nobody can make you vote. Nobody can make you show up. Nobody can make you uh, speak. Nobody can make you sit in front of a microphone. If you're a senator, you're a senator the only thing comparable is like a, a Catholic bishop. You know, there's no one can really impeach you. You can't you can't get thrown out of the Senate for being a jerk because you'd have to be voted out by your colleagues and half of them are jerks and not going to do it. So he, he's and when, when Joe Biden, when it hit the fan and his whatever the plan was, went south, he ran to his hideaway. 
at Camp David and he hid away literally because no one could make him do anything. And that's the pattern over and over. I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. When I do it, you don't get to say anything about it. I'm not going to adjust because he doesn't seem to adjust to anything. No, he doesn't seem to adjust. And that's the negligence. When he decides he's right. doing something, he's doing it. Um, uh, damn the torpedoes, right? Uh, with the, yep. Whatever the consequences, I'm going to do it because I want to do it. He has waited and craved for so long to have this power, to have this presidency. And, and, uh, and because of that, he is um, adamant in his, in, in, in his decision-making in that if he wants to do it, it's going to get done. Doesn't matter what what legal scholars told him. I mean, legal scholars told him you can. The Supreme Court will overturn um, your executive order to the CDC on on the eviction notice, and and he told the American people, I don't care. I don't care that legal scholars say it's not it's wrong, that it's not going to hold up. And what happened? It turned over. He doesn't, he's uh, negligent on the border. This is impacting lives. This is impacting communities. Uh, th- this is spreading um, the, the, co- the criminal um, world of... Um, of- uh, we're talking to Selena Zito. I might have lost her. She's on, she's on assignment, as we say, and so she might have, hopefully she'll come back. Uh, and, and we're talking about her piece, which is over in the Washington Examiner, uh, and I'll put it up on social media. The title is The Negligence of Joe Biden. She makes a very interesting argument, I have to say, and hearing her talk about it is even better because she's seen a million politicians. She's seen a million situations. She's seen uh, when uh, you know something goes bad, something goes good, uh, the reaction and all. And her point is that over and over, in the last seven months, the pattern of conduct with Joe Biden is similar to what happened in Afghanistan. And she's going through in this piece a list of these. And it's pretty compelling, I have to say. It uh, it does make you wonder. I will say this. I have brought up, and, uh, and I, I haven't seen enough writing about this. We'll see if journalists start to pick it up. I have said over and over, who's really deciding in the White House? Who, who's actually in charge in the White House? You know, that's the question I wonder is, is, is who's doing, you know, who's making the decisions? Who's deciding this is going to be the plan? Take the military out before you take everybody else out and then have to scramble. And, and, and when here's the bigger thing, when it goes south, who's around the big table to say we got to adjust the plan? Because it's not sufficient to say, oh, sorry, we messed up or not even say sorry. Oh, it's, it's not going well. We'll just keep going. I mean, at a certain point, you don't. If you're digging a hole, you stop digging. That's the, one of those lines, you know, that people have. So uh, that's the question I ask. Over is it Susan Rice? You know, Susan Rice uh, was at the National Security Council, and her deputy was Anthony Blinken, who's now Secretary of State, and her, one of her other deputies was the woman that's running the CIA. So maybe it's uh, Susan Rice that's making the decisions. But again, either the pattern of of behavior, the conduct is negligent, as Selena Zito says, or somewhat, maybe maybe it's more than one person's making the decision and they're not willing to, I don't know, someone makes a decision that's going south and everybody else watches it happen. I don't know. We've never seen anything like this. We've never quite seen anything like this. And uh, and if you are reading Selena Zito and you're checking out what she's saying on this and she's written another piece uh, on the same topic, you need to... Um, you need to read her and she and see her when she speaks uh, on these topics because she's got a great sense of what's going on and she knows these people. 
She knows Joe Biden for decades. Uh, and uh, and I think her, her perspective fills in a lot of the context uh, of what's happening there. And, you know, she referred to the press conference and the press conference earlier on Tuesday with Joe Biden was, I mean, almost too painful to watch for me because, first of all, it started hours late which is just bizarre. They said we're going to start at 12.30, then we're going to start at 1.30, or maybe it was, maybe start at 1.30, then it was 2.30, then it basically nothing happened and it finally started. I mean, it's a very odd thing to do. Trump used to start late because he liked to enter late. So he'd say we're going to start about 1, and he'd show up at 1.10 or 1.15 and a grand entrance. Everybody's waiting in the room. And these, the, when these delays go on for hours, they actually tell the reporters to go away. I saw uh, Peter Ducey reporting from the White House. He said, yeah, we were sitting in the room waiting, waiting. They said it's going to be a little delayed. And then they came and said, just go ahead and go wherever you're going to go. We'll call you over the loudspeaker. We'll let you know that way because they, they don't wait. They don't let you. At that point, you're not even going to bother waiting around. So anyway, when, when Joe Biden comes in, he kind of yelled at everybody. He, he yelled at the people and said it went great. Everything went great. It was really great. We did a great job of bringing out over 100,000 people. And it went great. You know, it went great, everybody. And then he got just, he just kind of seemed vaguely annoyed. And then he closed down. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very bizarre to see what's going on. And, you know, again, I, I did an interview earlier today on a, a TV program, and I said, the world is watching. North Korea's restarted their nuclear power uh, you know, plant, I guess it is. Uh, China's uh, doing all kinds of things in the uh, South China Sea. You know, the, the Iranians are saber-rattling. The whole country, the whole country is watching and wondering what's happening in a White House that seems so weak, so disoriented, so unsettled. And uh, it does seem like negligence. So thank you to Selena Zito. Always good to talk to her. Sorry we got cut short. We'll have her back on again. She's always on the road, so she always ends up with cell phone issues. Uh, we'll try to get her on a landline next time. I hate to do that. I always, uh, When people tell me to get a landline, I'm always like, ah, come on, it's 2021. We don't need that. But all right, we'll take a break, everybody. We come back. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. And uh, if you want to go over to SelenaZito.com, SelenaZito.com is her website. A lot of there. The best thing to do is sign up for her email list, her email updates, and she'll send you an email when she uh, publishes articles, so it's good to do. We'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Donald Trump has proven that he doesn't need Air Force One or Twitter to attract an enormous crowd of supporters. His sensational return to public life has the bonus of smoking out the never-Trumpers who've unsuccessfully schemed to silence him. When will they ever learn that Trump will never be silenced? Trump is back in action without missing a step. After holding a spectacular rally in Ohio, Trump then spent three days lambasting his pathetic Attorney General Bill Barr, whose duplicity and inaction helped place our country in its current predicament. Trump pointed out that, quote, despite evidence of tremendous election fraud, he just didn't want to go there, end quote. Trump's slow-moving swamp creature of an attorney general reportedly pretended to open an election fraud investigation merely to tell Trump that no such evidence could then be found. Trump did not stop at calling out Bill Barr. At his overflow Ohio rally, he deplored the mistreatment of his attorney Rudy Giuliani, which included a shocking raid on Rudy's residence. 
Communist countries target a politician's attorney. Why should anything like that be happening in America? Yet that's precisely what liberals have done to Giuliani. Threats are their weapon of choice. They will stop at nothing to silence Trump, even if it means employing communist intimidation tactics on the people close to him. Trump's speech also included a retelling of his favorite fable, The Snake, about the risks of giving asylum to refugees. Our southern border is overrun by illegal aliens, and Trump visited the border after Biden refused to. While Trump gives America the straight talk on immigration that our citizens sorely crave, Vice President Kamala Harris pathetically claims that walls do not deter illegal immigration. Instead, Kamala wants to make Guatemala such a paradise that illegal immigrants won't want to come to America. I can only imagine how plush those Guatemalan jails will have to be to lure all the rapists and murderers to stay in their own country. Don't be fooled by people who say that the era of Donald Trump has passed. Americans still crave his straight talk and his fighting spirit. And conservatives should take note. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Political correctness is no longer simply about restricting speech. This tool for tyranny has led to employees being fired, pastors silenced, small businesses closed, and truth suppressed. Thankfully, the politically correct can't censor the work at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you? At phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Good to be back. Uh, interesting interviews. Please go to ProAmericaReport.com to track those down. Okay, I want to get to a story. I love this story. This is so much fun. There's a lengthy story in Politico.eu. Politico is the website started in America in Washington, D.C., chronicling uh, the swamp. And, uh, and they opened up a Brussels branch a few years ago called Politico.eu. And... Um, it's a very uh, it's a very good site to go to because it's as long as you know, it's left leaning, right? It's a left leaning website, but you go there and you, you have to have that filter in your mind. You say, OK, that's the filter. And so um, here I am over on Politico. And there's a story, a wonderful story about how the European Union, the EU, the actual sort of entity, the Uber entity, the globalist dream of having a EU, right? They they are going to have to do something that sounds a little bit like what a conservative would do, okay? And guess what that is? They are not happy, the EU, that one of the people, one of the nations is doing what? Is sending people across the border, so Belarus, the country, has a leader who's Lukashenko is the name of the, I think the president. Is it a president or is it a, a prime minister? But And Lukashenko is literally, oh, he's president, Belarusian, uh, pre- Belarusian president. He's sending migrants from his country into other countries. Now, you have to, first of all, remember, one of the requirements of the EU is that you not, that you're allowed to move between countries on on one passport, an EU passport. So, and the, one of the requirements is that nations have to allow people to move from place to place. It's part of it is from the Schengen Agreement, which is a, a town that it was signed in. But it basically removed a lot of the ways that a nation can control its border. Because if you can move anywhere, you know, when you get to the border, you say I'm going there, and they don't have to say what's your passport, where you're going. You just have to be like, oh, well. In the case of Belarus, the president is sending immigrants into other countries on his border. And guess what? They don't like it. (laughs) They don't like it. They call it a hybrid war. 
And the, the hybrid war is using illegal immigration for political purposes. So the EU is protesting against the use of illegal immigration for political purposes. Hmm. Isn't it pretty clear that illegal immigration is being used in America for political purposes? Is that a reach? Are you going to say, oh, no, no, it's this is a, it's being done. It's being allowed to happen for fun. It's being allowed to happen for I mean, I guess the argument here is that the Belarus president is doing this to make his neighbors crazy. But I would say that the uh, the, the border in it, the complaints we get. America gets when we say build the wall, the complaints against concern. Oh, you're a bigot. You're a bigot. You're not supposed to want to build a wall. You're not supposed to control your border. You're supposed to allow people to move. EU is saying, um, wait a second, we don't want our members nations to have to deal with illegal immigration being used as a political tool. Now, uh, my point here is there's just how do you define political tool, political motive? Because it's a little bit like reading somebody's mind and heart. All you can really do is describe the conduct. The conduct is to allow people to come across illegally and to your nation. That's the conduct. And the fact is, you either want to modify that conduct or you don't. There is either a good reason to modify the conduct or there's not. It's not based on what somebody's political, uh, somebody's intention is. What is your intention in allowing the border to be open and allow people to illegally cross? Is your intention humanitarian? Is your intention political? How do you know? How do you know? A good liar is going to say it's all humanitarian. Or maybe an honest person would say, oh, I want to do it for lower wages. I want, I'm a business. I want to make more money. But I don't think you can judge that. It's impossible to judge the intentions on a policy like this. Or if you are, you're just guessing, right? Instead, just describe the conduct. Describe what's happening and say it's acceptable or unacceptable or better say that there is a reasonable set of of uh, of there's a reasonable set of assumptions and preferences. That's a better word. There's a reasonable set of preferences, preferences that are reasonable that should allow and can allow someone to say, don't do that to me as a nation. The EU has admitted that there are certain times where there's a preference that is reasonable to not allow illegal immigration. Now, they say it's because it's a political reason. I guess that's what they'd say. They say this is a political uh, motivation is the reason. Is this is the preference, the reasonable preference? But I don't think that's true. Because what is it that's bothering you? The Belarus president sending people into your nation. Do you not like their poverty? Do you not like their possibility of voting, working, taking jobs? What is it that you object to? It's not just that the Belarus president does it. It's that you don't want the people there for some reason. And it's at least a reasonable enough preference. Or if it was bigoted to do that, to have the preference, it's overridden by this idea of your political intention. That's pretty silly. And again, as I've told you over and over again, hypocrisy is not a distinguishing characteristic in politics, right? In politics, hypocrisy doesn't do it. It doesn't. They're all hypocrites. Hypocrisy is just a description of what happens when uh when people change their minds you know and you don't like it it doesn't it doesn't really uh doesn't change anything uh and it shouldn't 
So in this case, the EU is hypocrites, hypocritical. So what? Who cares? The more important thing is to make the argument about what the preference is. Is it a reasonable preference to not want your borders uh, uh, violated by illegal immigration? Seems like it is. And the EU has shown us that. And after that, you're just guessing about intentions. All right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our great technical director, also the producer of the show, and Joanna for booking our guests. Thank you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Don't forget, check out the first segment today, Crisis Afghanistan Day One. Crisis Afghanistan Day One. All right, Ed Martin, ProAmerica Report, back tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.